Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is for the week ending Friday, May 20th, 2022. We, we've done actually, oh, Eric Holmes is drinking, I believe that is apple juice from our Find Your Film what what is a glass and then and then Bruce Perky has a find your film shirt first of all let's start with Eric Holmes regarding your your find by the way I will put a cha-ching sound clip here regarding our podcast we're we're just gonna spend like 10 20 seconds on the merch and then we're gonna get to the good stuff okay Eric Holmes find your film glass how is it is it good is the logo okay did you oh you're what are you drinking apple juice right now Eric Holmes what are you drinking some delicious apple juice uh, out of a very, very fine looking glass, very fine oh, very, looking very finer good. film glass that you too can uh, order one on findyourfilmpodcast.com. Findyourfilmpodcast.com. You can order a a wonderful glass with our with our logo. Very good. You're, you and make a, a very good you make a very good glass model, Eric Holmes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. yes. And Greg, maybe uh, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I, I got plenty of glasses. I don't think I need a finer film glass, and that's fair. But perhaps, mm-hmm. just perhaps, you may want a finer film T-shirt. Like oh. the one Bruce is wearing. Oh, Bruce, beautiful! You have the color, the, the color logo. That who? Oh, okay, that was Bruce. What was that? Now, who who designed that logo, Bruce Perky? Who designed it? Oh, it was it was some really interesting uh, <laughs> shaman out in the middle of the jungle who had you know several wives, and he. Uh, oh wait, really? Oh, that's not right. Uh, he has someone else. You tell I me who it, was. I think his name is Juan Diego Escobar Alzate. From oh, yeah, lose the flower of evil. Am I correct on this, Eric Holmes? Was that what happened? How did how did that work? How did how did that excellent filmmaker take part in getting our logo? How how did that happen, Eric? Do you remember? Well, he's a wonderful artist. Not only yeah. is he a great director and writer of Lose the Flower of Evil, of which we have uh, wonderful posters, but he's also quite the uh, he's also quite the artist. And I believe you can hit him up on social media if you too need some design work done. He's quite good and very fast at it. So. He's a- He's Definitely a jack. He's a jack of all trades, and can yes. I also assert that "Lose the Flower of Evil" is probably one of the most visually immersive films I've seen in the last several years. Eric and Bruce, would you back me up on this? Oh, one hundred percent. Yep. And uh, he's also quite the visual graphic designer, hence our wonderful Finder Film logo that you can find on this wonderful pint glass that you can also find on FinderFilmPodcast.com. And by the way, Eric Holmes went very good. Thanks again. We're very good with the apple juice for our listeners, for our, where we're trying to reach a general audience, even though we are an explicit podcast. I'm trying to mix and match here. But Eric Holmes, how the, how in the, when are you going to start, when are you going to finish your 2000 page book on your analysis of Lose the Flower of Evil? When is that going to, are you still on the, are you still working on it? On it? Well, I'm still on page three of the <laughs> Greg Serzavosti, uh screenplay, Crushing oh, Ass, with right. exclamation points. You're a busy man. Okay. How's that work? So you're at writer's block right now. I got to do some more impressive stuff, right, for to get to page four? There's so many wonderful things that uh, Greg Serzavosti, the character in this so wonderful mm. screenplay, Crushing Ass, could be up to. And it's just a matter of pointing out what direction I think he should be going in. Uh, but as of right now, as of right now, he, uh, what, what do you do? He, he snorted a snake, <laughs> snorted <laughs> a snake out, and it grew, uh, it grew, uh, some tatted out guns. Oh, Tad, I, I, I definitely need some tatted out guns. Speaking of going in different directions, Eric and Bruce, Bruce, can you talk about the different directions we've been going in the last couple of weeks specifically for you? I mean, you, 
you teamed up with Eric on a recent review when you've been doing some of your mini reviews as well. How's that been going? What what can our listeners check out? Uh, well, we have kind of a, I guess, a bonus episode. I don't know what you'd call it. A hodgepodge of awesomeness. How's that? Uh, yes. <laughs> a mishmash. A, yeah. It's got a review by you. It's got, uh, what was the name of that movie again, by the way? Torn Hearts. Torn Hearts. Torn Hearts. Yes. And then uh, we get on there, uh, me uh, and Eric, kind of separately. Eric does... What are we? What are we branding this now, Eric? You and your brother are doing the IMDb game. What do you call it? Find your film or uh, find uh, your film last, game. Last film standing. Last film Bruce. standing. Last movie standing. Uh, we we haven't released it anywhere. Bruce made a uh, wonderful Photoshop of uh, Bruce Willis's last man standing. I mean, it could not be bested. It could, no one could make it more perfect. You can't even tell. Actually, um, you know what? You know what, Bruce? I need to take that picture. And they just make a t-shirt out of it. <laughs> on the <laughs> Again, no last film. It, but it, it, I like the idea that these things just exist there. Even if, even if just someone clicks on it and goes, hey, that's funny. I'm not going to buy it, but that's funny. So this is episode 116, but on a weekly basis, you're going to get many reviews from Bruce Perky, sort of an offshoot on our podcast feed. Recently, Bruce Perky did a review of the Donald Camel film Demon Seed, which stars Julie Christie. And I believe the voice of the computer was Robert Vaughn. I don't know if I was, I'm correct mm-hmm. on that, Bruce. Yep. That is just based on my mem- my scarred childhood memory as a teen. I still remember that because Robert Vaughn, I remember him from The Magnificent Seven. And of course, the man from Uncle Bruce and I are so old, we actually believe that these projects are current. Now, Eric Holmes has something very interesting. Eric, what can you just tell talk about the game, which I found interesting? It's you and your brother Steven. You have a couple of uh, glasses of either apple juice or maybe uh, just alcoholic beverages. And what are you guys doing as far as this last film standing or find your film game? What what is this about? Yeah, usually it's it's something we've been doing for years, just for the hell of it. Uh, we get real drunk and it'd be like two two thirty in the morning. We're like. Hey, let's figure out what Morgan Freeman's best movie is. Okay, cool. And then we just hit up his IMDb, start with his most recent movie, and then work down. I was on Andrew Watch's movies a couple years ago, and we played it. We played it on on that. And do you remember the subject you and Andrew played? What was it? Was it an actor or filmmaker? Yeah, we did. We did uh, Jeff Goldblum. And I think we did another one, but I don't know that he ever released it. Oh, shoot. What the, I think we did one for Viola Davis. Okay. Viola um, Davis. But, but me and my brother, Steve, have been playing it for years. And then one day, Steve's like, we should just record that. And I was like, well, I mean, it'll be, it'll be extremely loose because uh, we're pretty drunk on those. That seems to be the only time we do it. But it, it's fun. And it's something you can play at home. I like the outcome that we have if you play it at home with your friends or family it's going to be a wildly different outcome it's it's not like a like an ortho game like where there's a winner um this is like a a game kind of like a kind of like patty cakes a game you know mm. it's it's yeah. just a, a fun thing that you can do and yeah. we figure we'd record it and it, you know it turned out it was recorded it was recorded. I thought it was interesting. What did you think, Bruce? When you listened to the this one, the actually think the actual audio I released as far as the find your film game or the last film standing, however we want to call it, it is a sort of a mini tribute to Joel Schumacher. What did you think of the game, Bruce Berkey? It surprisingly made me want to go watch Batman and Robin again. Um, very much so. Uh, <laughs> I, it was probably the best defense I've heard for Batman and Robin. Okay, very interesting defense of Batman and Robin. I was so excited because my, for me, DC Cab is a movie that uh, under my purview I have not seen. I've interviewed. I interviewed Joel Schumacher, by the way, Schumacher 
rest in peace. I believe he passed away in 2020 or 2021. But it's very interesting. Again, Eric and Steven, they start off with his last film, his most recent film, his last film that he made, and they worked their way all the way down to his first film. And they actually say, I like this movie. You know, well, I like this movie. And when they have a disagreement, they actually have to flip a coin and Whoever, you know, whoever's, uh, like, let's just say Trespass is uh, is Eric's favorite movie, and Steven prefers another movie, and if Trespass is heads, Trespass gets to move on to the next round, which is very, very interesting, and who knows, maybe even Trespass might be Joel Schumacher's best film. That might be the last film standing. Yes, Eric Holmes. Yeah, it's, it's best when you have odd number of people doing it, because then you usually have a tiebreaker, because you're, oh. you're only going two movies. So they, if you got like three people or five people or whatever, yeah, it, it's just a fun thing and a fun way to talk about movies, especially like with, uh, we, we did this a lot with the Joel Schumacher one, but with the uh, early on, we're <laughs> naming off movies is like, I didn't even hear this movie. And then they, uh, you always have the dark horse ones where it's like, Oh, there, there's that movie that they're really good in and we're not thinking of it. But then once you get there, it's like, oh, that that was the one. That was the one we forgot about. So that's another fun thing that you can kind of discover along the way. Yeah, and in a, in a roundabout way, actually, in a roundabout way, in a really cool way, this actually honors the artist, the actor, the filmmaker, even though Eric and Steven are a little bit inebriated during the conversation. Very it's inebriated. Yeah, it's okay. I'm gonna, yeah, okay, very, yeah, very, but. You that apple what? juice will mess you up. That, that apple juice, <laughs> yeah. Johnny Appleseed needs to be your doctor. But by the way, it, it's actually both of them are, are avid cinephiles. So actually, as a listen, I would say drink along with them, play the game, disagree, agree with them. And we, you know, by the end, you're going to figure out if you listen to our Find Your Film game or whatever last film standing on that previous, it's on our podcast feed, you'll figure out what is the Joel Schumacher film that quote unquote wins that game. Yes, Bruce Berkey. I just had a thought. That's the only thing that I didn't know when I was watching it and that, or watching it, listening to it. Yeah. When they're taking a drink, maybe you guys need to let us know so we oh, can drink we, along. We, we were, we were three sheets. No, but it's like that, well, well drunk before. one, next sip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, or I you can have a sound effect. Thing. If you have like a sound effect or a bell or something with you, you could just ring it every time you drink yeah. or something. Well, we wouldn't be able to do that at that point. We're so far gone <laughs> off of apple juice that <laughs> we wouldn't be able to remember that. But I, I think one th- fun thing is uh, like if you played this at home, it'd be interesting to hear like, hey, I played this with my wife or my husband or I play this with my kids or whoever. And this was the movie that won when we played, because I think depending on who the group right, is, very good. And yeah. depending on the day, me and Steve could do Joel Schumacher again, and maybe we come up with a different answer one day, just because we're feeling different that day. Or you see some of the movies you hadn't seen before. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because I recognized I would... a couple of those you hadn't seen. I'm like, that's a pretty good movie. They'd probably like that one. Like the was it Ma- Veronica Guerin or whatever. Veronica Guerin, correct? Yes, Kate Blanchett. That's a good yeah. movie. Oh, I didn't. I did not know that. If I was actually playing the drinking game with Stephen and Eric Holmes, let's just call it the drinking the drinking cinephile game. I don't know. That's another name we could throw onto the fire or, what, or what, the Holmes game, whatever. I I would have said while they were while they were on. I think this movie called Cousins, directed of course by Joel Schumacher. I would have done my petite maman, and I would have been. I would have been drunk and crying because I remember having such an emotional experience watching Cousins. And it, it, I believe it stars Ted Danson. And I think 
Isabella Rossellini. I'm I'm working on this on memory. I just remember loving that film, and I believe it's a remake of a foreign film. But this is a, a, a memory from 30 years ago. I remember loving Loving Cousins. That might be worth a rewatch. So there's a lot of really cool things you can actually. Well, you might be drunk, inebriated. It might be a fun party game. But throughout the process, you might learn a lot about the artist that is covered via the Stephen and Eric drinking game. And the one thing that I haven't actually aired yet that we have not aired yet is their drinking game regarding Nicolas Cage. So I decided, because I'm director-centric, I started off with Joel Schumacher. Their next one is Nicolas Cage. So you're going to listen in. How do you not end up dead at the end of that? I mean, how many Hmm? titles are there in Nicolas Cage? (laughs) Am I wrong, Eric? Yeah. Oh, my God. And we and we we kind of skipped through, uh, kind of oh. through a lot of them too. Ooh, um, like yeah, titles or something. God. So normally when we play it, we'll go like we'll just kind of go have no 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 no. Okay, here's one we've seen, and then but since we're recording it, we feel that we got to name yes. off them, uh-huh. name off the movies. Like that, there was a bunch where it's like I've seen that, I've seen that. Steve hasn't seen that. So normally when we play, we just kind of skip through a bunch but since we're recording feel that we should at least mention the movies even if it's for a second okay so it's gonna be interesting little not a, not a big spoiler alert but regarding nicholas cage did whatever film survive nicholas cage were you happy with the outcome eric holmes of- yeah in fact uh it's uh we we mentioned it at the beginning of the joe schumacher one which one uh survived that one yes it's pretty much what i expected uh oh really but, but Uh, again, like there's movies that I think should have made it through that Steve hadn't seen. So like right off the top, I was like, I, if I was playing this with Bruce, Mandy would probably make it towards the end, but I know it's not going to make that far with Steve because he hadn't seen the movie. So that'll, you know, that'll get jettisoned almost immediately. And you know, you know, what's going to last with me, right? With Nick Cage, what, what Nicholas Cage, what is the movie that I'm going to fight for and flip the Popeye's card with? And hopefully I win every single round, Bruce and Eric, you have to uh, know the answer. That to would this. be prisoners of the ghost land. Oh, that was, that would be yours. Eric Holmes. That's, don't, don't, don't confuse you and me. We are not mirror images of each other. Bruce, what do you think? Would oh, be yes, Nicholas, we are, Greg. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. I wish I was taller uh, like you, but yes, yes, Bruce Berkey. What would be it, my choice? It would have to be the one where he was the bodyguard for what's, what's their name? <laughs> okay. Guarding test. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. That has to be the one, right? Okay. By the way, both of you, I thought you guys knew me after two plus years of doing this and then another six, seven, eight months with Louis LeCow over at Movie Mainline. You guys rolled snake eyes on your actual bet. Of course, it would be snake eyes from the best director ever to grace this planet Earth, his name being Brian De Palma. Okay, so no, that I didn't know that Brian De Palma directed Prisoners of the Ghostland. <laughs> Very good. You learn something new every day. You learn something. Did you know Eric Holmes that this, that Prisoners of the Ghostland is secretly Bruce Perky's favorite movie of all time, next to mm-hmm. Citizen Kane? Yeah. Is that correct, yeah. Bruce? Yeah, it is right time. next to Citizen Kane, perfectly <laughs> placed. Right, right next he, to he always says that in the um, the our message thing. It's like Bruce, like. I just got to tell you how much I love Prisoners of the Ghost Line. Guys, please don't tell anyone. I'm very embarrassed about this. But yeah, like, cool, your, cool your jets. Cool your jets, Bruce Perky. And, and all this well, there's a thing. If, if, I, if I admit it, then um, something explodes on my body, and I'm not allowed to say that I like it. So. <laughs> the, one, the one thing that explodes is Bruce's integrity. Now, Bruce's <laughs> – if you actually want to actually, actually listen to Bruce's real take on Prisoners of the of the ghost land and me and Eric going gaga crazy idiotic crazy over prisoners of the ghost land check out our previous a previous uh, episode of find your film now 
Let's get to our featured movie reviews. Also, very last quick plug, all the stuff you can find on our website, findyourfilms.com. We've been doing a lot of work. Hopefully, in a, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe in the next couple months, it will be a working, really cool entertainment website with a ton of information. Some of that information might be even our, might be even our coverage of this film called Cordelia. Cordelia is a psychological thriller based on, well, it's directed by Adrian Shergold, and it's co-written by Shergold and Antonia Campbell-Hughes. Antonia Campbell-Hughes plays Cordelia. The movie starts off with her. She's in the tube, and she gives, I believe, I recall she gives her seat to a stranger. And you're thinking, okay, well, it sounds like a suburban thriller kind of thing. And then it just cuts to her, present day, in an apartment with a sister that kind of looks like Antonia Campbell-Hughes. And we're assuming, well, that's, she's playing herself she's playing cordelia and her sister and what happens is cordelia she's an actress she's an understudy in some kind of production she but mainly she's paranoid she is like in a roman polanski movie meaning she just wants to stay in her apartment and just shun the entire the entire world because of a past trauma the problem is there is a stranger played by johnny flynn who you might have recently seen in the outfit Johnny Flynn plays a stranger who, he's a cellist actually, not really a stranger, he's a, a neighbor, but he, it's a neighbor who gets to know Cordelia over the span of the narrative. She loves his cello playing, she thinks he's cute, they strike, they have a little meet-cute situation, but ultimately as Cordelia moves on, you realize the cellist is not exactly who he says he is, possibly, he, he has a lot of secrets, Cordelia has a lot of secrets, and the whole movie is a cat and mouse game regarding them, trying to get to know each other, trying to get the truth at the bottom of the truth, and there's a lot of just really weird atmospheric touches in this film. Very interesting film, but I don't know if Bruce Perky or Eric Holmes have enjoyed this movie. We've actually been, Bruce and Eric saw this movie a couple of weeks ago. Let's start with Eric Holmes first, because I know this movie might be fading from your memory as as the seconds go. What did you think of Cordelia? Because you were throwing your missiles to, to me and Bruce in Messenger regarding this movie. It- it a lot of it has faded from my memory almost all of it um let me see if i can remember now i'm not the one i'm not the type of person that uh says like i figured this out i I figured out the ending you know before you know it this blah 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 usually because i just i don't watch movies that way i don't try to unless it's a whodunit um i don't really try to figure movies out this one i this one i was so far ahead of the story that it was kind of it was kind of embarrassing uh, a character shows up and goes, well, because uh, so the main girl gets uh, strange phone calls and uh, she's like, oh, well, who could that be? And then and then the character pops up and I was like, well, that's the that's the person giving the phone calls, isn't it? And, and then the movie goes on and then the uh, they try to do a uh, uh, what would they call that? A red herring or whatever to throw you off the scent. And I'm like, oh, that person's definitely the person making the phone calls. And then uh, they try to make it into a twist. There's a part towards the end where when the movie finally reveals what you could have figured out after the first 10 minutes of it, they kind of take it in an interesting direction. And then they squander it with the with there's like a real uh, tag at the end. It's like, ah, man, there's like there was like this one part at the very end that kind of almost saved it. And that part at the end just kind of ruined that. This wasn't this wasn't very good at all. This Mm. was kind of and usually so usually I talk about movies that I don't like. It's movies that hit me at a wrong 
wrong time or I watched it a wrong time. It's like, yeah, it didn't really work for me or I wasn't in the mood for it. This one, I just don't think is, uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is one of those cases where I hit it at the wrong time. I think this is just kind of a bad movie. Mm. And the fact that I got to, I got to really strain to remember um, anything that happened in this, which for me is normal. My brain sucks and I forget a lot of things very often, but this was one of those, like the uh, Anderson often says in one, one eye out the other. And that's kind of what this was. Um, yeah, this is a very not recommend. Uh, very not. I, I recommend. don't have much to say about it, and I really don't want to shit on it too much. Um, I I do like the uh, I do like the uh, what what's the guy's name? The Johnny uh, Flynn. Yeah, Johnny Flynn. I I I like him in the. I like the actors in this, but this is a case where the writing didn't do the actors any favors. You know, there there wasn't. You know, you'll hear people say they did the best with what they had to work with there was almost nothing on the page as far as I could see, or as far as I could tell that the actors had to work with. I'd like the, I like the actors in it, but there was just someone, Mm. someone should have uh, read the script before they started shooting it. And I don't think they did because I would have had plenty of notes, plenty of notes from Eric. I would have had, I would have been like, dude, okay. First of all, I'm on page 15 and I already know the ending. No, but but that's supposed to be a twist. It's not going to be a twist. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I'm on page 20, and I already knew what was going to happen on page 15. And I know you're trying to throw me off the scent. That's not going to work. And more importantly, I don't really fucking care about anything. The the oh now now it's all coming back together. <laughs> so I'm starting to flip in. Um, there's a part with the with the sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main character's like lives with her sister or something. Yep. And her character, the sister character, just she's gone. Like she she's introduced in the movie is something that might come, and then she just disappears for the rest of the movie. That there's just th- this whole movie feels like a first draft that prob like I think there's a you know it's a, it's a someone's at home and they get getting strange calls, and then it's a thriller that that that's how this should uh go and i think that's how they wanted it to go but it yeah this script uh the script probably should have had some rewrites on it because this feels like a first draft is like he kind of got something there let's work on it a bit more um and i don't think they did and they probably should have okay that is cordelia review from eric holmes do you agree with eric holmes bruce perky on cordelia I mostly agree. I guess I'm a, a little more positive. I, I really like the setting. I generally like the character. And I like her acting. I, I like Johnny Flynn's character as well. And there's some things that are really interesting in it, I think. To me, and I guess I'm kind of to the side of what Eric is saying, saying, but sort of saying the same thing in that, to me, it's like they had interesting characters, sort of, but they almost told the wrong story. Like, I, I felt like they wanted to tell one of those you know, woman on the train, woman in the window, one of those kind of, you know, mystery thrillers uh, kind of feels like maybe it's supposed to be like, you know, how like in rear window where you're looking across the apartment building, it's almost like she's one of the rooms that's being looked into. Like that's almost what this feels like, where I think that the interesting story here might've just been her character in a different time in her life. I'll give an example. And I don't think this is spoiling. And if you think it's spoiling, um, you can, you can cut it out, um, Greg, okay. but there's a scene where her, her cat has died 
And it doesn't really matter to the story that her, other than her cat has died. And we've been in the apartment with her the whole time, pretty much this or in the apartment or in the vicinity in the city. And then she just takes a train trip with the cat's body uh, out to her family's home, I think, and buries it. And there's a bunch of other graves on that yard, apparently from other dead animals. And I'm like, what's that story? I want to see that story. Like, what is this character doing that she has so many dead pets in this yard? Is this just all of her family pets since she was a child her whole life? So what my point is, I think the story of her character that they're not showing us is the story we should be watching. Like, there's the whole story of what has traumatized her. Let's see it. Let's see how that affects our life in a realistic way and not try to shoehorn it into a thriller. And I think to me, the problem is it's trying to be something that's less interesting than what it could be. So that's kind of my impression, I guess. I this think movie. What, yeah. Oh, Eric, I, I, I think what would have been fun is the uh, maybe this story started at the wrong spot. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying. It's, because yeah. it, it then where, where it reveals the, the the air quote twist that no one could have possibly figured out at all. Um, that was, <laughs> clearly wasn't accidentally projected. That once they get to that part and you get to know the characters, and then they're dealing with it in a really interesting way. There's a there's a part of this movie towards the end that I think is really good, and yep. that that's the part that they should have. That's the that's that could have been the first act. Yeah, that that's and where the that's go. where the story should have taken off and then just kind of go along with that. But again, that's why I say this movie feels like a first draft. It's like, okay, this is what's working. Let's let's lean in on this. Let's focus on this. This is the parts of the characters yeah. that are interesting. Let's 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 go back. We got you got this part of the story that's work. We got these characters that work. Let's really dig in and uh make this an interesting story. And, and I don't think they did that. To your point, Eric, and I don't think this will spoil it because I'll be kind of vague about it, but Greg mentioned Polanski, and I won't say what Polanski movie, but this could be – what you're describing is basically what happens in a very famous Polanski movie, whereas whereas that twist, what the audience knows about that character happens early enough that most of the story is what happens in that world once you know what that character is all about. Whereas this movie is leading all the way up to the point where you discover what that parent, that character is about. And then that's supposed to be the, oh my God, this is what the character is about. When that's the thing you knew all along, pretty much. And that's kind of your problem with it, right, Eric? It's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I knew that's what this movie was going towards. Yeah, now, the, if it had, the, if it had changed it. Yeah, yeah, they're just hiding it for an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay, when, when you... <laughs> We've When's watched movies. <laughs> We've watched movies. We know how this usually works. So yeah. Okay. So Cordelia, it's in theaters and on demand May twentieth, Friday May twentieth. I believe it was released. Not not stateside, but across the world. Maybe a year or two earlier. I don't know when it was released. Had probably had a different release on the UK. Bruce and Eric did not uh, really enjoy Cordelia because one of the things is a lot of Cordelia doesn't make sense. A lot of this movie doesn't, it's very oblique, ambiguous. The ending, you're, want, you're, you're thinking, okay, well, I want this to be explained. The A, A, B, and C to be explained, and it doesn't, a lot of it doesn't get explained. There's a lot of things that are left in mystery. And I loved it. I love this movie. I love everything <laughs> of about it. And then Bruce said, that, <laughs> either Bruce or Eric said, this is going to be my movie. This is absolutely my movie. I went bat ish over, over Cordelia. Look, the barrier to entry is exactly the review that Bruce and Eric gave regarding it about how it could have been a better maybe psychological thriller, start or end or or cut to a certain thing. But for me, this movie, it, it's it, it's based on director Adrian Chergold's, his 
his own sense of isolation back in 2006 or 2007 when he actually lived in a similar type of apartment in this area called Bloomsbury. And it's just, and it it's based on, a, on actually a neighbor or a character that he knew, a person he knew. And this sense, you know, I mentioned Polanski and we're not going to mention the movie, but there, I am a sucker for paranoid, <laughs> paranoid, oh, claustrophobic apartment thrillers i i stand i really love those genre and this genre really appealed to me but there is, there are going to be a lot of people who do not find cordelia satisfactory because it doesn't check off all the boxes it is not your standard psychological thriller it is and it's the whole movie is a little bit off-putting antonia campbell hughes she gives a really good performance eric was talking about how we you know that he liked the actors in, in you know in the movie i love you know i love the performances really well done and it's just one. Of, I think this is just a movie. And sometimes, sometimes Eric Holmes he has five star bangers for film that's films that really appeal to him. This is, I mean, this is not a five star banger for me, but this is a four star film for me. I recommend it if you want to actually give it a shot. With the caveat of let's let's let, let's get to Bruce and Eric's rating as well. But my rating for Cordelia, I just for some reason, even with all the frustration regarding not getting everything solved in a nice little package, I ended up really loving the atmosphere, the mood, the performances, and what Cordelia had to say about isolation and past trauma air combs your final rating on cordelia um this is uh probably a one and a half star um because the the part after the reveal <clears throat> the part after the reveal and then uh before the tag at the end i really i really like that part and i like the i like the characters this is just a kind of a missed opportunity of a movie there this this could have been great and I think if everyone, like everyone involved, the director, writer, everyone got another shot at this, I think they could have, I think they could make a really fantastic thriller and probably one I like as much as you did, Greg. Oh, as it is, I really this is like it. a one and a half for me. One and a half for Eric Bruce, your rating on Cordelia? I'm probably two and a half. I like it a little bit better. I think that it's at least half entertaining, but it definitely isn't fulfilling in the final take for me. Okay, so that is Cordelia. We all all of us disagree. Bruce and Eric do not recommend Cordelia. Two out of three do not recommend it. I recommend it, and you can yell at me for this recommendation for Cordelia. I just I just went crazy over this movie, and you know what? I'm so predictable because both Bruce and Eric saying, "Oh, we, they they told me, oh, we, I don't we don't like this too much, but I think this is a Greg movie." And I'm thinking, no, Greg. Because a lot of my five star bangers lately have been one star bangers for a lot of Bruce, people. Yeah. <laughs> so if yes. you've uh, listened to my uh, review of like uh, uh, Scary the Scary Sixty First, first. and Peter Beta uh, from Middle Class Film Class actually agreed with Bruce. I think he gave it one or two stars, yeah. two stars of the most. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Don't Look Up. A lot of people hate that. I, I like a lot of movies that people seem to hate. Hell, me and Steve released a thing, and we fucking love Batman and Robin, which I know for a fact <laughs> a lot of people listening to this. I think it's one star. So I'm wondering, and I'm very curious, maybe you watch Cordelia and you're like, I don't know what the fuck, Eric. Eric's, there's something wrong with his head. This movie's that they're going to be, might be in uh, Greg's camp. Um, but the wild card is you and I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, but yeah. Bruce also <laughs> agrees that don't look up as a uh, five-star banger. He just didn't want That's to say true. it out loud. Uh, it's once again, things on me will explode. If I admit it, I've got these <laughs> things. I, I can't talk about it. It's a whole thing. Now our next film. Okay. Off with Cordelia. Now there's a, there's a movie called Il Buco. I L 
Buco, B-U-C-O, two words, Italian film. It was a winner special jury prize at the 2021 Venice Film Festival. The question is, fellow cinephiles, everyone out there, do you like sitting in a darkened theater to see pretty pictures and visual compositions for, I'm assuming, I'm thinking, for 93 minutes, okay? Do you, do you want that with hardly any dialogue and just the movement of cinema, almost pretty much a silent film? Well, then Il Buco is for you. It might be, if you love film as a visual medium, might be one of the prettiest films that you've seen in the last several years. We mentioned Lose a Flower Viol. This movie, Il Buco, is, would be right up there in that camp, even though Lose has a lot more dialogue. This one would be something if you don't want too much dialogue. Il Buco might be the movie for you. It's set in the economic boom of the 1960s, and it's it centers on a bunch of explorers. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Speleologists, speleologists, Bruce and Eric, I guess. They explored Europe's deepest cave in the untouched Calabrian hinterland. And pretty much most of the movie has these explorers, these speleologists. They're going to the bottom of the cave. If you want to see beautiful cave shots with a silhouette of light and darkness for 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 93 minutes and if you want to see a person an elderly man on a bed for quite a bit and suffering or maybe he's at peace and a lot of it is open to interpretation and and you want to see beautiful vistas il buco might be for you I, I i sound like i'm actually making some kind of joke or being sarcastic regarding il buco but no this is exactly what il buco is now I'm stating the fact, Bruce, with all that said, was Il Buco something that you were immersed in or did you just do the dishes and say, okay, let's just get this thing over with? Um, I, I started out kind of immersed in it and I got less immersed in it as it emerged, <laughs> continued. Um, I think it's an interesting approach because basically what this movie is doing is it's taking this historical event, it's making a narrative movie, but it's shooting it like cow. Or it's shooting it like Gunda, where it's just saying, like, we're going to just sit here. You're, oh, we're not going to have any subtitles. You're not going to know what's, it's just, it's just standing back and watching what's happening. For example, there's a, a hole in the ground that is this giant cave they're going to explore. And at one point, you're going to see some people on either side of it kicking a soccer ball back and forth. For That's a, a beautiful shot. That, that is a beautiful and shot. And then bro. you're going to be inside the cave and you look <laughs> out of the cave and you're going to see the soccer ball going across from below inside the cave. Uh, you will see the old man also sitting next to a tree watching the valley several times. Um, it is beautiful. This movie is undeniably beautiful. The cinematography, the um, the framing of shots are just gorgeous. There's shots in this small little town uh, with, the, uh, uh, what is it, a, a lighthouse at one point. There's another shot where you're at a distance in this small little village and you're, wa- and you're watching from a distance the people running through the streets and you're just seeing the city illuminated by the light as it goes through the streets. Mm. Gorgeous. There's the way they frame the shots and they're just lit illuminated by their lamps on their head in the cave. Gorgeous. The movie is deadly dull. I was... It just really, it overstayed its welcome. By the time I got to about mm, 35 minutes or 40 minutes, I was like, okay, I really need a little more here, guys. I need a little more. Bruce, can I play devil's advocate, though, for one second? What if you, could this movie have hit you differently? Eric always talks about hitting you differently when you see it. If you were in a more contemplative mood, I'm not saying you were at the moment, but or not. Is this one of Yeah. I mean, this is definitely going to hit certain people. I mean- for me, okay, I'll give an example of what something that's similar that works for me, and that's like movies like Baraka. 
Baraka is similar to this in kind of the approach, right? You're just seeing a lot of things happen really beautifully. But for me, there's something about the way it's put together. And I think for me, what it come down to was the narrative here, even it could be really slow, but the narrative kind of led to nothing for me. I mean, I know they were exploring a cave, but I, I needed it to kind of go somewhere at least. And it didn't for me. And that was my biggest problem. I would still probably mildly recommend this. I mean, because it is quite something to see, but it's very mildly recommend. 93 minutes too long for you, Bruce? Oh, yeah. This could have been, I'd say for me, the sweet spot for this would be 45 minutes. 45 mm-hmm. minutes would be just the point where you're starting to be like, okay, I'm cool. Listeners, if you think Bruce Perky has a an aversion to caves and humanity, you are correct, right? <laughs> no. Maybe? No, I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm yes, kidding. Batman. I hate Batman. <laughs> caves, humanity. There is no Batman in Il Buco. I don't know if that would have been a plus or a minus. Eric Holmes, you know what I would think would be funny is after Bruce's review of Il Buco, and I, I get his points – I would find it absolutely overwhelming and be completely surprised if you just flipped for this movie. My guess is no, but you might Cordelia me and you might say this is just an amazing, profound movie. Where, where do you land on this? Well, I I, I started thinking of like a, a big blockbuster movies. You know, they're oh, yeah, they're 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 uh, pretty to look at. They're a bunch of amazing visuals, and this movie is a, a lot like that. It has amazing amazing visuals, just in a different way. And also, like the uh, a lot of the blockbusters, not all of them, um, but a lot of the blockbusters, uh, they're kind of hollow. There's nothing there, and so it's like after a while, it's like I mean, cool. The effects are cool. It looks pretty, but I'm just not engaged because there's I don't care about anything that's going on. And that's kind of exactly where Il Buco is. the The shots are amazing. Um, the The stuff that they do underground is amazing. But there's, I'm not getting anything of it. Uh, Bruce in our message mentioned something like a travelogue, and this definitely works as that. Um, and I got I got plenty of pictures on vacations we went to. And if you want me to show you a slideshow of that for an hour and a half. You're welcome to watch it, but you're probably going to be bored. <laughs> uh, first of all, Eric, on- because I, I like no, it no. because I, I look at it and it reminds me of, hey, we went to that thing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, looking at it with the people that I went on that vacation with. No, and, no. and maybe it works for like a five, 10 minute slideshow. But this kind of thing doesn't work for an hour and a half. Can I tell you what our ne- my next post on findyourfilms.com is? What's that? Five star banger uh, colon. Eric Holmes's camera roll. So I'm actually going to put that as one of my favorites from 2022. Um, (laughs) I I think the one thing this movie had going for it, and I think it kind of squandered it, was the um, sense of discovery. Anytime they go in the, anytime they go in the cave, I'm kind of interested as long as the camera's behind them. But there are way too many instances where the camera's in the hole that they're going down looking at them coming into the hole. And so, you know, because the movie gives me so much time to think about these things, <clears throat> I just think, uh, oh, so the they had time to bring the camera there, set it on a tripod. Uh, someone's there because the camera, you know, pans and moves sometimes. Um, so there's no sense. There's no, there's not even any sense of discovery because the camera's already there. It's already been discovered. And now we're just waiting for the person to climb down the hole, which takes about 10 15 minutes and uh so the one thing that it could have had going for it 
I think they squandered with the way the way that they chose to shoot this movie. And again, it looks fantastic. If this thing wins like best cinematography at the Oscars, I'm like, yeah, totally makes sense. Cause this is like a, you know, this is like a assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford level cinematography where it looks beautiful. There's just nothing there. Like, well, Eric, you're talking about visuals, which obviously it is a visual medium. Does this feel like a recommend for you then at, at the very least? Because of the visual or no? If you want to play it in the background with no sound, which, I mean, you could because there's not much sound in the movie just to begin with. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, there's spelunking noise. There's a lot of spelunking. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Water dripping. Uh, But, uh, like, if you really want some uh, really pretty uh, vistas and really pretty cave shots, then, yeah, you can play this in the background and look good on your TV. Yeah, I mean... Actually, for, you know, for if if that's all you're going to use the movie for, then great. But as something you're going to want to sit down and watch, I I don't know why you like this. This is easily a five ten minute YouTube video that just looks fantastic. You know, a fantastic okay. looking YouTube video. But it's just take the parts of the the cave exploration, and other than that, there's not much else. You're not going to have. At least, if you're like me, you're not gonna you're not gonna get much more out of it than that. Okay, Ao Ao Scott, the critic Ao Scott from the New York Times, quote regarding Il Bugo, quote a quiet, intense, almost overwhelmingly beautiful meditation on life, death, human curiosity, and the unfathomable power of nature. And then that uh, sounds like someone that really is trying hard to like this movie. And Jan Brooks from the Guardian calls it a pure pleasure. Nicholas Rapold from Artform says, it's a meditation on, on mortality charted through a mesmerizingly what? recreated spelunking expedition. And wait, I, say, wait, a, a meditation. This was a, a meditation, meditation on mortality. A meditation on mortality charted through okay. a mesmerizingly <laughs> recreated spelunking expedition. Guess what? You I saw agree. The, you saw the old man, Eric. Come on now. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, speaking of the old man, what the fuck was he doing in that movie? It's like, he was uh, sitting the, the, on the hill next to the tree, <laughs> and he was looking. He was looking at the at the, at the expanse of life. I, I, you know, actually, I really want to see what movie these people saw. Okay. Uh, th- this reminds me of this reminds me of uh, Anderson because uh, we totally hyped up Petite Maman for Anderson. Yeah, and then uh-huh. when he finally saw it, it was like right. oh, it was fine. And I think I I kind of feel bad because I think we might have ruined that from and maybe other people that that we hyped the movie up for. But well, you know what? Petite Maman is like telling because I was like, I really wish Anderson could have seen the movie. Ice like we did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When when you're reading these interview or these reviews, and uh, good for the movie for getting the reviews. And if they and if these uh, uh, critics love this movie, I'm happy for them. And I'm really curious, and I kind of wish I, wa- I I really wish I saw the same movie they did. Like I wish I would have been able to watch this movie in, with their eyes. I am very disappointed in I was expecting both Bruce and Eric to be moved by Il Buco. I am disappointed, to be honest, by their review of Il Buco because And it sounds critics. like I wish I could have saw it with Greg's eyes too. And <laughs> you know the thing is what even disappoints me even more is I agree with Bruce and Eric wholeheartedly oh. <laughs> regarding Il Buco. It directed by Michelangelo Framartino, this movie is a is gorgeous. And if you are in a close to sedate state, if you want to actually look at something on the screen for 93 minutes without just any kind of uh, blood circulating in your system, then Il Buco could be perfect for you. I 
De Palma is my favorite filmmaker, so I'm all about the visuals. Sometimes, though, as Eric points out really well, sometimes visuals can be boring. <laughs> it it might not amount to much. And yes, I believe that Il, Bo- Il Buco is a look at the fragile state of humanity, and he, you know, uh, Eric was talking about that it lost its, you know, the sense of exploration. Actually, I think the sense of exploration is a theme in the movie. But like Eric says, they lost their sense of it. They're saying, okay, we're going to spend hours framing this shot, and yes, kudos to them for making the most beautiful shot. But what this movie lacks is this arresting narrative, or at least a narrative. Uh, you know, Bruce was talking about Baraka, a narrative that. Uh, catches you in a sublime fashion. And unfortunately, I guess for all three of us, sublime was not part of our experience with Il Buco. For me, Il Buco, I would recommend it if you if you want to experiment and you love Italian cinema and you or you want to actually watch a foreign film which has some beautiful shots like Eric and Bruce are saying, very visually arresting. But for me personally, I give this movie two stars. Bruce Perky, your rating on Il Buco. I'll give it Two and a half, and just say, if it's free on one of your streaming services, give it a try. You might be in the right mood for it. Who knows? Or like Eric said, you know, throw it on there, and it might be something to have on while you're cooking a nice Italian meal. Okay. Two and a half. Very good, Bruce. What about you, Eric, on Il Buco? Uh, Again, uh, blockbuster movies are pretty to look at and pretty empty, and they often get uh, shit on because of it. And is this movie any different than that? It's pretty, pretty to look at, and it's very empty. Uh, this movie uh, is a screensaver. It's a five star movie. Um, is an actual movie that you're going to want to sit down and watch. This is one star. One star. Eric, can, I, I, can I, I just say, if I ever make I a like movie, new yes, grumpy. Yes, I like the yeah. new grumpy Eric. It's making me look like the nice guy. I love it, Bruce. Keep it if, up, Eric. Can you remind me if I ever make a movie one day? Can you make remind me not to send the screener link to Eric Holmes? <laughs> I know he's so mean. God, he's unforgiving. I swear. My goodness. You know what, folks? Let's, I, I like the mean Eric Holmes. Listeners, if you do not buy, buy our merch at findyourfilmpodcast.com, Eric Holmes may pay you a visit. How's that? How's that? Is that good, Eric Holmes? I, okay. I was thinking, and, and I thought this after watching Cal. And actually, okay. this movie, both this movie and Cal made me retroactively like Gunda less. <laughs> Oh, this is with it, Eric. I, I'm not. Eric. I'm not. I'm not. I'm How dare you? To not be a fan of this kind of filmmaking. And it, again, if you watch Gunda and you watch Cow, well, no, you guys like Cow though. We love. Um, we love Cow. So yeah, that, that doesn't work. But maybe, maybe you're. This is like your type of. I don't know. I, I was I was driving around doing uh, parts runs in my day job. I work at Mobile Transport Repair. If you ever need a uh, semi truck fixed, uh, and you're driving through Colorado Springs, come on down to Mobile Transport Repair. We'll fix your shit. <laughs> um, but Very good plug. I was doing uh, I was doing some parts runs, and there's a there's a, a part downtown where there's a lot of people, um, you know, cars driving by, and I was thinking to myself, I can go down here with my with my phone. And just set it on a tripod and just uh, videotape the cars driving by. And then just kind of move the camera over a little bit. And then I'll go to another part of town and just kind of sit okay. there and move it a bit. <laughs> and I'll do that. Like, I, I can do that for like a couple hours, I bet. And with very little editing, I could come up with what uh, A.O. Scott and whatever other uh, whatever <laughs> other critics you put. Esteemed, the, these are esteemed wa- critics. The, They'll watch that bullshit that I just put together and they'll be like, (laughs) it was a a very contemplated and uh, very emotionally arresting look into the blah, blah, blah. The fragility of life. (laughs) 
Wow. And and meanwhile, I'm just sitting there crossing my arms. Uh, the three of us are going, yeah, or the two of you guys are going, yeah, Eric, you made a piece of shit. And I'll say, yeah, I kind of did. I put zero effort into this. <laughs> it looks pretty, but that's about it. But see, if you include your parts runs, and they could say, like, it's about the dismantling and reassembling of the American society. I, I, and- I can't include my parts runs because there's a beginning, middle, and end to the parts <laughs> runs. And that Good would point. make a narrative and give it a point. <laughs> and I don't want that. I just want random shit that I'm putting in from the camera for you to contemplate the complexities of man and what it means to be human. And listeners, we have changed the name to find your film to find your mean. And when I mean mean, I don't mean median or average. I mean, we are getting mean this episode on Il Buco. Look, you know what I'm excited about? Listeners, if you disagree with us regarding our review of Il Buco and you watch it and you are moved and you are passionate about this film, check us out. Tell us on our Cinematics yeah. Facebook group. Tell the, us that. The, the weird thing is, and back uh, back to the, the people's cinematics, like, I almost want to know what, like, uh, Joseph Bridges or Matt Stillman think of this. Because this seems like a movie that if anyone's going to like it, maybe it's them because they get more uh, esoteric. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. maybe maybe they maybe they watch it and go, you guys are fucking way off. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, and and you, so, mentioned- yeah. Who, who knows that? that I mean, there are clearly people that like this. I'm not one of them. Well, that's a call out to our Cinematics Facebook group members, Joseph Bridges and Matt Stillman. You have a spelunking edition to go see Il Buco. <laughs> tell us what you, tell me, Eric and Bruce, what you think of Il Buco. Okay. So, and if you really hate the movie, we will not refund your money. Okay. Moving forward. <laughs> I will. I will. Oh, you it's will? Probably, it's probably going to be a couple of bucks. I, I will refund oh. your money. Oh, oh, Joseph. Oh, listeners. Look at this. Joseph Bridges and Matt Stillman. In funnyfilmpodcast.com <laughs> credits. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, good. Just, just yeah, yeah. It, it, Matt Stillman, and, uh, Joe Joseph Br- Joseph yeah. Bridges. If you watch the movie and you hate it, I will refund you for that. Wow, very, very cool. But I, nice. I think I think of the cinematics group. If anyone's going to like it, it's going to be those two, or it's going to be one of those two. One of those two. A very good call. What do you think, Bruce? Do you agree with this assessment? Me, I think Anderson would love this movie. I think he needs to have a watch <laughs> no. on this movie. Anderson <laughs> from the film vault. We should we, we the film vault after disaster in cinematics. We'll see what he thinks. Buko, <laughs> that is very funny, Bruce. Okay, our final featured film this week is not Il Buco again. It's a movie. It's a documentary called Hold Your Fire. Two guys asked me to pick up something from the bottom shelf. And when I stood up, the guy had a 25 automatic. Puts it to my head. Someone outside called the cops. Four terrorists had been surprised inside the store on Friday afternoon. No, they didn't know who we were. Holy crap, 12 hostages inside a sporting goods store loaded with firearms. We opened the door. There were cops everywhere. That's when things went haywire. The perps certainly had evil intent. Kill the hostages, go out in the blaze of glory. We didn't want to go out in the blaze of glory. What the hell are you going to execute me? And I got all these guns in here. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to defend myself. All my life, police was killing black people. I know for a fact that cops aren't racist. We never discriminated against anybody. A story of violence inside a sporting goods store in Brooklyn botched robbery, killed a police officer. I don't think that they believed they could get out alive. Bullets was flying all over the store. They wanted blood. I was terrified. We're through. Cops usually wind up overreacting. Kill them all. No. 
I believe in talking. Harvey Schlossberg. He didn't look like a cop. He didn't act like a cop. But he had his PhD in psychology. I believe police could influence people without bullying. The most difficult thing in the world to change is a culture. Now we got to talk to these individuals. It was revolutionary. This is the birthplace of hostage negotiation. You're looking to find that key that opens that guy's head. My mother? Anything you can to make a conversation, you must get them to talk. We're trying to figure out a way to hit this thing. The crowd got tired of hand. You might have a massacre on your hands. Nobody really knows what the next move is going to be. Just give me a reason to kill you. Oh, my God. All their fires, all their fires, everything is under control. I want him out alive. It is set in Brooklyn in 1973. It looks at several African-American men. They go into a store in I believe, in Brooklyn, and they are trying to steal guns. I think it's a sports store. They're trying to steal guns in, for self-defense, for different purposes. What happens leads to, at the time, the longest hostage siege in NYPD history. There is a lot of stuff that goes on. If you are, look, on a surface level, if you're a fan of these 1970s cop films, a lot of them directed by Sidney Lumet, if you love movies like Dog Day Afternoon or William Friedkin's The French Connection, that vibe of New York in the 70s, this documentary captures that era very well. Some really interesting interviews regarding a couple of those culprits, a a couple of those people who actually tried to take over that store and steal some guns. What happened as was supposed to be a very simple grab your gun and leave situation ends up being a really big siege. There are interviews with the various NYPD officers, retired now, obviously, and just a lot of talking heads in this movie, but interspersed with archival footage makes for, you know, I'll I'll give my review in a second, for quite an arresting watch. Hold your fire. My goodness, Eric Holmes. I'm assuming you you prefer this over Il Buco, but let's let's take your your take regarding Hold Your Fire. Prefer a lot of things over Il Buco, <laughs> including uh, Coraline or what, whatever that is. Well, Coraline's a good movie. Stop motion animation, but this Cordelia. Well, no, no, what, Cordelia. Cor- Cordelia. Cordelia. Yeah. yeah, I did the cut. Co- yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, this is a weird movie. Not, mm. not, it, it wasn't weird, but when I'm watching it, I was like, wow, they're, they're, using, uh, they're using a clip from The Pawn Broker. Oh wait, no, that's like just uh, that's just uh, that's just uh, regular footage uh, that they found. Oh wow, this part looks like it's from Serpico. Oh wait, no, that's not from Serpico. That's that's uh, it, it's got a bunch of that. This movie is this movie feels like a Sydney Lament yeah. movie through and through, <laughs> and it's a documentary, which is very strange. And I, I talked about like the. Uh, the movie uh, Il Buco making me retroactively hate Gunda more. Um, this movie made me retroactively appreciate Sidney Lumet more because he captures that era of New York so great um, because we're watching actual footage from that time. And it looks like you're watching a Sidney Lumet movie. Now, as a documentary, uh, this is, okay, what they claim that it is, is it it's the first time that someone has used... Uh, Hostage negotiation, negotiation, yeah. Ne- hostage yeah. negotiation tactics, but it's set in New York, and New York has a way of claiming they're the first to do things when they're not. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how accurate that is, but we'll just go with it because that's what they say in the documentary. But asterisks, if something was claimed to have started in New York, 
might want to check on that because a lot of times it isn't. That oh, aside, by the way, we love New York. If you want to send us advertisements or sponsorships, I hate New York. Oh. New York City is a dump. <laughs> Bruce, can you help? Can you should I edit this part because we're trying to get monetization from New York? Help, help the Big Apple, Bruce. You want to help? No, I can't help you. It's all you. Oh, man. unbelievable. Okay, yeah. go, go ahead, Eric. New York Strip is a strip they uh, imported from Kansas City, but whatever. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Um, <laughs> were invented in Nebraska, not New York. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking Bruce. What's I'm going on with Eric today? Is he he's coming out swinging? This is like- I mean, Eric, just let him let him feel his emotions. <laughs> let like him own them. Yeah, here. It's like somebody up there likes me. Go ahead. Hey, I'm okay with this. I'm I'm I I'm love ba- it. I'm bathing in it. I'm I'm just taking it in. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, right. it's like the emperor. It's like feel your hatred. <laughs> Let it flow Let, through you. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. With all that stuff regarding New York, with all that factual stuff, which um, might I'll, be questioned. Yeah, all, all that aside, I have I have my thoughts on New York. Okay, I'm I'm not going to get into that. But uh, this uh, this documentary is really good, and there was a lot in this documentary that pissed me off, but not like. It, it didn't piss me off because fuck this documentary. It pissed me off because, well, for one, and I don't know the guy's name, uh, but you'll know him when you watch the documentary. Look, I'm not racist. I just think that people need to be separated by <laughs> their outward opinion or their outward appearance. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you motherfucker, you were a cop. These are the people that we give guns and let, oh, geez, that guy is a racist piece of shit. In fact, a lot of people in this uh, movie that were cops are racist pieces of shit. And it probably doesn't stop at this movie. It uh, most likely still goes on today. But that's not what the documentary is about. Or maybe it is kind of a little bit, I think. This movie shows that there's um, other ways there's ways that you can uh, solve a problem without having, without using violence. And in fact, the way that you solve the problem without using violence is usually a better way to solve the problem. This movie kind of uh, illustrates that a a lot of times it shows up. If you're familiar with how the story goes, there's a a part towards the end of the, what was it? 47 hours. The standoff was a long time. It was long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh maybe 72. And, and whatever what however many hours it was, it was a long time. It's broken down into chapters and narrative, by the way. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah. And a lot of uh a lot of how that came about was people using nonviolent methods. And what I think was the most dangerous part of the whole thing was anything involving violence, both on the people that that uh, people holding people hostages and the cops themselves. There was a part where the cops are like, the fact that they didn't shoot them as soon as they saw them is just, a, you know, it's amazing and a great show of restraint. I'm like, dude, that's a hostage situation. You don't shoot the fuck anybody because you don't know if they're the person holding them hostage or the hostage themselves. Put your fucking gun down, you fucking, oh, goddamn. I got triggered so many times watching this movie, and but in the best way possible. And I think a lot of people can learn things from this. But more importantly, I think it shines light and illustrates how this is just another example of where cops aren't equipped to do things. Um, as as they are right now, we we need to come. I, I think as far as like, uh, yeah, I've mentioned it before. Whenever we talk about movies like this, cops are kind of useless because they're 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 asked to they're asked to do all these sort of jobs, and they're not equipped to do any of them. 
They don't know the law. They don't know how to defuse the situation. Basically, all they can do is pull people over and give them tickets. That's about all they're they're good for. Because the other stuff that cops are asked to do, they're probably better off um, with someone that is well-trained to do that certain thing. And they're not, you know, they're not equipped to do this, get someone else uh, equipped to do that specific thing. But instead, we give cops, they just throw everything at them and say, we'll have the guy with a gun take care of this wide net of shit. And they're just not equipped to do that. And quite honestly, a lot of them that are on the force are racist pieces of shit that are on there because, hey, I get a gun and I get to shoot people and I get to assert my authority. Those are not the people you want fucking uh, putting their boots on the neck of the uh, citizens. Yeah, that was kind of a rant, but this movie... (laughs) This movie, uh, th- this movie brought it out of me, and th- this is a fantastic documentary. And what's sad about it is that this is great that, um, at least according to this documentary, it started a hostage negotiation. Um, and the documentary it said it saved blah 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 amount of lives, and I think that illustrates why the idea of police need to be eradicated and just rebuilt from the ground up. Because I think police are, as they are now, are mostly useless and they need to be more, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like like, like doctors. A, a, a heart doctor doesn't work on the brain. The, the, the oh, specialized, need, like yeah, specialized. Yeah. They, they need to, they need to take, do away with the police as they are and just get groups of people that are specialized to deal with blah, 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 blah you know, uh, domestic violence, we're going to get these people, they have a background in psychology and, and, uh, domestic, you know, things, and we're going to have them deal with domestic violence. So we got, uh, we got a group of people that are, uh, trained and to deal with, uh, a shooter that there are people for that. The people dealing with domestic violence probably shouldn't be the same people that are wearing riot gear and dealing with the shooter. I, I think this is, and this is just one small example of, hey, we're going to talk to them and we're going to develop this new way of policing and it works. Yeah, the docu- I don't know why they didn't keep going with that and then just uh, then just make more of a policing specialized. And yeah, yeah. I, 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 I could go on for this forever, but this is a fantastic documentary. <laughs> yeah, this movie definitely triggered. This, this movie definitely triggered uh, Eric Holmes. Yeah. So NYPD, so by, by the way, uh, New York, we love you, and I don't, I don't know why I don't. Should I say I think something about police officers? No, love you, police officers. No, no. should I cut that out? <laughs> I'm not gonna cut that out. Um, you know what? I, I, I will get. I will give them this olive branch. Uh, they're asked to do an impossible task, and they're, uh, you know, they were a, uh, you know, when you leave the dog at home with the kids to watch over them, don't be surprised. <laughs> When the kids aren't well taken care of, you very good point. Very good point. Very good. You didn't give them the right tools and you didn't get the right person for the job. Speaking of tools, NYPD psychologist Harvey Schlossberg is prominently featured in this documentary because he's quote regarding that situation fought to avert a bloodbath, reform police methods, and quote save the lives of hostages, police, and the four young Muslim men at the heart of the conflict. Hold your fire. Good thing Eric Holmes liked the documentary. He, I'm sure he's going to give it a really good rating. Bruce Perky, I'm sure you're, you concur with Eric Holmes' assessment of the doc. Yeah, I think it's really good as well. I, I guess I'll just take slightly different tactics since I can't cover any better the things that uh, Eric did, although I would say I agree with, with things he's saying. What I also admire about this documentary, um, first of all, if 
You don't know the events, which I'm guessing a lot of people don't know the events of this documentary at all or only a little bit. It's a very fantastic story. Like if you're just following it from beginning to end, it's fascinating and it takes some really interesting turns, especially towards the end. There's things that happen that I didn't know were going to happen. And when they did, I was very surprised. Even more importantly, the way this is presented is really interesting. Um, like you said, it's a, you know, it's a talking head documentary. You're going to get to meet, you know, the officers, a lot of officers involved. You need to get to meet some of the hostages, get to meet the shop owner, the shop, that shop owner is amazing. You get to meet the um, hostage takers, the people that came, went in there to, to do the robbery. And it does some really interesting things formatically for a documentary as well. And I want to call out a couple things. One thing is, I want to say it's about the third or maybe even the halfway point. At one point they say, why do they want to steal these guns? And they take a detour that I was not expecting. And at first I was like, why are they doing this detour? And then it really add some interesting concept, context and value to this movie to understand why these people were trying to steal these guns and understand that this isn't just someone going in there to just make a quick buck or they're just off their rocker on drugs. There, There is something going on here that's above and beyond. And once again, that's one of the things we forget about a lot of these situations. There's context. Context actually matters. It doesn't mean that what they were doing was right, but it shows you that there's a lot more complexity to the world that leads to these things and causes these things to happen than just to be like, oh, they're bad and we're good. And that's the way people try to take these things. And yeah. another thing I want to point out, and then I'll I'll stop, because I think Eric said most of it great already. One thing they do in this movie that's really interesting as well is several times you'll be seeing a talking head saying something. And then the next shot is another one of the talking heads reacting to what that talking head just said. And I haven't seen that very much in documentaries, which means they either had to decide ahead of time who they're going to film first, knowing that they're going to show it to this other person later when they interviewed them, or they just decided to do it on the fly. I'm not sure how that exactly happened, but it leads to some really interesting reactions and conversations by talking heads and almost cathartic moments at points that wouldn't be in the average documentary where you just have these separate interviews, they just splice them in and tell the story, which is good, but this is better. This is really, really good. Yeah, I think going to what Eric was saying, there's something that's very interesting regarding it's is it's not it's not a cut and dry documentary, mm-hmm. and which is very cool because it, when when I mentioned Talking Heads, a lot of the times it's a pejorative, it's like kind of a, a negative. But I think the way it's framed here is just it's very very important, and also the idea that regarding the, the four Muslim men, you're going to have maybe. A lot of viewers will have a preconceived notion about them and and their motivations. And by the end of the move, by the end of the documentary, you might be thinking regarding, well, what is justice? What is karma? What is rehabilitation? Is there a prospect for that? So these are the issues. And to Eric's point, NYPD, are they good? Are they not? Are they doing their job? Are they doing a horrible job? These are issues that's going to be circulating around your mind while you're watching the documentary. And another thing that's really cool about Hold Your Fire is, if you watch it once, you're going to get an, you're going to have your own image of the documentary, but it's one of these things that there's so much. Yes, Sydney Lumet. It feels like a Sydney Lumet film, like Eric said, but everything goes at you pretty, pretty fast in this movie because there's a lot of inf- documentary. There's a lot of information to actually take in. You can actually watch it a second time and get even more into it. Yes, Bruce. Oh, I was just going to say, even something as simple as you talked about Muslim men, black Muslim men, you would say, Oh, that I have an image of what that is. 
this movie even attacks that attacks that like, yep that is not one type of person there is a right. whole and that is a key to this story so the fact that we categorize people as a very simple thing and it's very makes it very easy and that's not what this world is and this documentary is excellent at pointing out that we, we also didn't um maybe didn't drive home the uh care air quote characters it's a documentary these are actual people they're talking to but bruce you mentioned in our in our chats about the the pawnbroker or the pawn shop owner yeah dude that guy is that guy is awesome and so you have the you have the cops which are mostly racist except for you know a, a small one of them <laughs> um then you have the uh you have the hostages, you know, the hostages that they interviewed, and they have their own point of view. And then you have the people, the perpetrators or whatever you want to call them, and they have their own point of view. And kind of towards the end, a lot of that melts together where a, a lot of them are finding out like, oh, I I did that. I, I, I never knew that until just now. Or, oh, that happened to that person. Oh, wow. That's. No, that no. And so there's, there's a lot of uh, discovery, except for one person who is just uh, very steadfast in his racist beliefs and fuck that guy. I, I don't know how you can be. How old is he like 70, 80 years old? I don't know how you can be that old and have no insight into your life at all. <laughs> But uh, I, I'll go on another rant. This is really good. <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the idea of the interviewees as characters is really good. How they kind of uh, kind of almost force them to recount the day, not just recount the day, but recount the day from different perspectives that they wouldn't have had had this documentary not been made. Yes, and this documentary should be turned into a film. If it hasn't been already, too bad. Sidney Lumet has since passed, but I, this could be a very interesting movie to make. I don't know if it'll work, or, or to speaking to what Eric and Bruce and we're talking about. You guys are saying if Ryan it was made Coogler, into a hot- let's get Ryan Coogler out of the yeah. MCU and into this. Yes, Ryan. Co- yes, that would be a great pick for regarding a film film version of the documentary. Hold your fire in theaters and on demand. May twentieth. I give Hold Your Fire four point five four and a half stars. Bruce Perky, your rating on Hold Your Fire? Uh, four and a half stars. Four and a half stars from Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. Last but not least, what is your? Uh, yeah, we'll go four and a half. Four and I, a half. I, I don't know why where that half star is getting taken from. What, Probably because Ryan Coogler is not involved. <laughs> the half star. The reason why I gave Hold Your Fire only four and a half stars, and it's not a five star banger, is because none of the people in Hold Your Fire, none of the real human beings in Hold Your Fire, they do not go spelunking. So that's why I only give it four and a half stars <laughs> regarding Hold Your Fire. Thank you, Bruce. Yes, thank you for... Yes, it is a good point. They should go spelunking in Italy. But yeah, very highly recommended documentary. Again, in theaters and on demand Friday, May 20th. That is our featured films. Now we're going to our recommends. Bruce Perky, Two Hands. This is a suggestion from one of our buddies over at the Cinemax Facebook group and also a YouTuber, a film critic. He loves reviewing movies. Tell us about this movie and your source for actually watching it. Yeah, so Two Hands. So Jack Fitzpatrick, Let's Crash This Parade is his YouTube channel. He recently put out a video where he listed his favorite movie from each year. I think each year he's alive. Yeah. So each year of his life, he did his favorite. And a couple stuck out. I actually watched a couple of them. I watched um, 
500 Days of Summer. I'm not going to talk about that one because everyone's seen that one, but I had never got around to watching it. So I watched it. I'm like, cool. It's, I'm not going to review it, but it's good. Uh, <laughs> but what I was really s- struck by was that in 1999, I went, oh my God, it's the year when all these great movies came out. He mentioned that his favorite movie was Two Hands, a movie I had literally never heard of. I know, like, what is Two Hands? I don't know what this movie is. Uh, came out in 1999. Australian production directed by uh, Gregor Jordan or Gregor Jordan. I don't know. I don't know for sure. Uh, it stars uh, Brian Brown as Pando. Uh, Brian Brown, you might know him from, I think, Breaker Morant and a bunch of other things. He's one the of those Thornbirds. He was in the Thornbirds and FX, yeah. of course. FX, FX yes. Yeah. yeah, that was probably his American like biggest role. Mm-hmm. But he's he's one of those guys you've seen in a ton of things. And he's he's kind of a great character actor. You have Rose Byrne in a, maybe one of her first roles as uh, Alex. But most notably, the star of this movie is Heath Ledger as Jimmy. Now, correctly so, Jack uh, Fitzpatrick said... This is a very post-Tarantino kind of movie, right? But it's got its own kind of Australian vibe to it. And I really uh, think a lot of people might enjoy discovering this movie. It's not a perfect movie by any means, but it has that kind of energy and fun that uh, is really, uh, I don't know, it's really enticing, especially if you love movies from that era. So what's the basic concept is Heath Ledger's character, Jimmy, is just kind of this, you know, young kid trying to make his way in the world. He's, 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 you see him first, he's standing outside of a strip club and he's trying to entice people in and up pulls Pando, played by Brian Brown. Pando's kind of the local, yeah, I guess mobster, I guess, kind of pulls up and he says, Hey, you want a job? And, and, you know, Heath Ledger's like, sure, Yeah, of course I want a job. And people are like, Hey, you want to take a job with that guy? He goes, Yeah, yeah, I'll take a job. He goes, Perfect. $10,000. All you got to do is drive it down to the beach, drop it off at this place. Bring the car back. You're going to drive my henchman's car. Take it down there. Drive it back. And uh, that's it. That's all you got to do. Show me you're good and I'll give you more jobs. And that's the premise of the movie. He gets down. <laughs> I'll give you the very basic turn uh, turning point of this movie. He gets down to the place. He shows up at the door. He knocks on the door for the person he's supposed to give the 10000 to. Uh, the woman inside is choking and coughing and having a, a, some kind of a seizure or attack. So she can't answer the door. So he goes out and waits on the beach. He thinks he sees the girl that he likes, Rose Byrne. So he looks around. He decides, oh, I'll, marry, I'll bury this $10,000 in the sand just for a few minutes so I can jump in the surf and meet up with the girl I like. And it's not her. And he returns. And the money's gone. And the car gets stolen. That was also the henchman's car. And so it goes. <laughs> this is one of those movies where you got a character and one thing after another is working against him and how he's going to try to weasel his way out of all these things. And uh, it's a lot of fun to find out how he does that. I didn't mention the movie starts with a cutaway of the earth and slowly zooms in to a tunnel, which is his dead brother as a zombie almost digging his way to the surface who talks to us at the very opening of the film to tell us about life. And that character pops in and out throughout the movie. That is as weird. kind of like this Greek chorus is his dead zombie like brother. Uh, this is a really odd movie. Uh, kind of funny, kind of thrilling, and it's got one of the best heists made in that era. I'm looking at you, Heat. <laughs> oh, jeez. No. Shall not just besmirch the good name of Heat. Yeah, don't. Don't, Bruce. Not on this podcast. <laughs> you know what? Go ahead. I've been... I've been... Anyway, up my ass all, all episode. <laughs> this is like a movie I think that people who love that kind of era of movies and are kind of feeling like they kind of miss that and have just never heard of this movie, this might be a great little movie to kind of pop in and, and check out. It's it's a lot of fun. Three and a half for you, Bruce. Um, actually, 
I think I'll go four stars for it. I, I, I think it's probably realistically around the three and a half star movie, but I had a lot of fun with it. And I think it's one of those movies where I think back like on four to five individual moments or scenes, in this movie that I loved. And I'm like, that's a sign of a movie that's going to really grow and, and be a really fun movie to, to have in your kind of your past and to keep watching every so often. So this, I is think two- Eric would definitely love this movie. Okay. Two Hands, directed by Gregor Jordan, starring Heath Ledger, Rose Byrne, Brian Brown, was released in 1999. What, that was Jack Fitzpatrick's favorite film from 1999. He's so young. I mean, when, when year was he born? 96 or 97? Anyway, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Two years later, two years later, Gregor Jordan would direct Heath Ledger once again in a film called Ned Kelly in 2003. So really interesting stuff. I love, I love Gregor Jordan's film. I believe it's called Buffalo Soldiers from 2001. Remember digging that. I believe it stars. Joaquin Phoenix in that one as well. That's if you're on a Gregor Jordan kick, check out those movies, Buffalo Soldiers, Ned Kelly, and the aforementioned Two Hands. That is Bruce Perky's recommendation for this week. Eric Holmes, you had another recommendation from one of our brethren. Tell us about it. I did. I was listening to Middle Class Film Class, and they were talking about a uh, documentary, uh, two-part documentary series. I guess technically it's a series. It's uh, two one-hour episodes. It's called I Love You, Now Die. I believe it's playing on HBO Max. And this is about, uh, don't know if you would recognize the names, um, but Michelle and Conrad, but you might recognize the story. Michelle was, uh, there was a bunch of texts between her and her uh, boyfriend that you should kill yourself. Here's how you should do it. Okay, kill yourself. And the the story was um, basically, uh, should she be culpable for Conrad killing himself because she kept pushing him to it? And so uh, normally uh, we talk about like, uh, you know, documentaries being split into parts and it's like, you're, you're, you're stretching. You don't need to do this. I think this one works really well because it's the two part. The first part's the prosecution and the second part's called the defense. And this, I think this works best because the first part of the prosecution tells you that if you're familiar with the story, it kind of tells you the story you already know and digs a little deep and in, deeper into it. It's almost confirmation bias. Cause I think a lot of people feel a certain way about this uh, Michelle person and what she did or didn't do to her boyfriend. Yeah. It just, it just kind of just made me hate her. It's like, yeah, she's evil, crazy bitch. Um, And then they have the second part of the defense after all that work of uh, (laughs) leaning into the confirmation bias. Now you're getting a second, uh, different look at the story. Same story, just from a different angle. It's like, okay, maybe she's not the evil bitch. I thought she was certainly crazy. She's certainly crazy. That that's uh, undeniable. But now I'm starting to now I'm starting to think of uh, differently about how this how this case went. It, it has a well. First of all, I, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, because uh, I'm doing a podcast right now about movies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm not a lawyer. But I wonder how much uh, precedence this case got because at the heart, it, from what I can tell, the heart of the case is. Hey, Greg, if I tell you, Greg, kill yourself. Now, if Greg kills himself, am I culpable? Am I now a murderer? Or did I just tell you, or do you have your own, you know, can you make your own decisions uh, based on what I say or not? I, it's really, it's really strange to uh, see a court case going on about her. Like, oh, she, uh, she texted him to kill himself. Uh, she needs, she's a murderer. 
And then you start reading off the tweets that was going towards her of you should die in a fire. Why don't you just kill yourself? And I was like, what? wait, no, if she's a murderer, all these people tweeting at her are also murderers. Had she killed herself? Um, so it, it's kind of a really, really sketchy uh, legal ground. Again, Eric, if a- you're more interested in, let's just say you have a preconceived notion on on the woman, on the young woman. Yeah. Is it still an arresting watch if you are more, if you're really interested in that issue that you mentioned, meaning just because of that issue that's so complex, is it worth watching this just because of that, that issue and how it flips uh, uh, for the, for both, for both oh, okay. uh, the, the issue, I think they don't, they don't tackle the issue, but I think it's inherent to the story. So it's, it's probably something you're going to uh, possibly think about regardless. I think where this a series really shines is the first episode kind of setting up what doing the confirmation bias is stuff you already know. And then the second part, just you sure you know all that? And I think another thing that it says without saying is that the stories we hear on the news are only what the news based on either A, the information that the news has or the B, the information the news is willing to give to us. Yeah, the package, right? And so we'll see a story on Facebook or Twitter or wherever wherever you see your Aunt Karen uh, posts a story about whatever and you read the headline and that's all the story you get. Um, But I think this does a good job in reminding you that you don't have all the information. And until you have all the information, probably best not to have too strong of an opinion. You can have opinions. You know, you can have um, I got opinions about police. We talked about that earlier, <laughs> but I'm not a cop. So I don't have all the information. I just go by what I see. And, um, you know, I make, uh, I make, uh, uh decisions and form opinions based on uh, what I have in front of me. But I think this documentary reminds you that you might not have all the information. And when you get more information, maybe you should reconsider what your opinion is. Maybe it's right. Maybe your opinion's dead on. Maybe it's not. I don't, you know, you never know. Um, How many stars do you give? I love you now die. I think this is why I didn't give hold your fire five stars. Cause I'm going to give this one five stars. Cause I, I think this one's really important and really effective in reminding people that your opinion isn't um, gilded and it shouldn't be set in stone. It should change. And uh, if you're uh, the type of person that's honest with yourself, it will change with giving more information. And I think this uh, documentary illustrates that well. And I think everyone should watch it. And hopefully they get that out of it, if nothing else. Okay. So this is I Love You Now Die. It was originally premiered at July 9th, 2019. You can get it on HBO, HBO Max. It's a two-part documentary. It is a five-star banger from Eric Holmes, suggested by Peter Peter Beta, right? Peter Beta and crew from Middle Class Film Class. Speaking of which, Bruce Perky, what does Peter Beta do every single week here on our Find Your Film offices, which spreads throughout Alabama and Colorado Springs and over in the San Fernando Valley? What does he do? Drops the beat. Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? You know what? He dropped the beat for the Dean Koontz wallet watch. Wallet watch that Bruce Porky pretty much delayed for the last several weeks because he knew about my ridiculous schedule regarding watching movies or more importantly, my penchant for procrastination. <laughs> what is the pick that you've been delaying? Thank you so much, Bruce, for this. Tell us about it. Spring 2014, 
Benson and Moorhead, uh, we recently discussed their most recent movie. I guess they've done some yeah. episodes of, uh, was it Moon? I could use more of that, by the way. Yeah. yeah, but they did uh, what the uh, synchronic. I think it was most synchronic. Yeah, saw. synchronic. Yeah, synchronic. Uh, they also did the endless resolution. I've seen all of those except resolution. I don't think I've seen. And you, you um, liked? You really loved the endless, correct? Am I correct on this? You, you liked it? Yeah, the endless okay. is the endless is really good. I think if if you haven't seen that one, that's probably the second best one in my opinion. But everyone, you know. They're, they're all pretty solid. They have a lot of, to offer. Spring is, like I said, 2014. Uh, it's on a ton of platforms. I believe I watched it on Shudder. I think it's on a bunch of other ones. You can you can see it pretty easily. Once again, I'll let you guys talk about a little more than me. But um, what I appreciated most about this, I guess, in a general sense, was that I like how it takes some kind of really conventional, sort of tropey sorts of movie ideas. There's a romance and there's, you know, you know, a guy in a exotic land meeting a woman. And there might be some other supernatural elements going on, but they're all done in a really interesting and unusual way, I think. I'll give you the basic thumbnail of what happens of how this movie starts and let you guys kind of chime in and see what you think. Maybe you don't like it. Um, it starts out with Evan played by Lou Taylor Pucci. And he is kind of, uh, his mom has just died. He lives in America. He's like working at a bar. He is obviously in a kind of a fragile place because his mom just died. He gets in a fight, gets really beats a guy down, looking at some possible legal ramifications because of that. And he, from one, you know, one thing leads to another and he decides, you know what, I'm going to take this trip I wanted to take my whole life and go off to Italy and just kind of escape life for a while. Just get away from all of this, this sadness and craziness that my life has become. And uh, I don't know, the first 20, 25 minutes of this movie, it's kind of him. He's, he's in Italy. He's traveling around. He meets some dudes from some other countries. They kind of all gather together and go down to this little coastal village and, and are having a good time. And he meets a girl played by, was it Nadia Hilker? I guess is her name played louise and she's this gorgeous girl and she is uh kind of pushes back at him a little bit she's kind of a little bit but she's also very interested in him surprisingly it's, it's a very interesting kind of a meet cute they have i guess you would say and uh that is the beginning of this movie i'll let you guys continue <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes eric holmes your thoughts on spring by the way on our cinematics facebook group Here's the thing. Sorry for that long pause. I was gonna. I was waiting for that reaction from you, Bruce Perky. You're, there's no. There's not gonna be any pauses on this podcast. By the way, you know why, listeners? Because Gregor Scissorhands he comes in in the podcast and he cuts out all the pauses. I'm a. I'm a pause freak. Eric Holmes, did you notice when you listen to the podcast that there's no room for any kind of breath in this podcast? Have you noticed that how horribly I edit to the bone? I edit to the bone. What do you think, Eric Holmes, on that? That's cut. I just cut that right now. Cut that too. I cut that. I just cut that. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> Very good. If you're coming in right now, I just cut a whole bunch of, uh, <laughs> which I'm going to cut. No, your thoughts, Eric Holmes, on Spring, starring Lou Taylor Pucci, Nadia Hilker, I believe, and this is the Dean Koontz Wallet Watch. They did it hit you in the right way. 149 minutes, by the way. Yeah, that, I think this one, this one feels a lot more fun. Than the other, the endless and synchronic, probably due to the the two characters. This has a uh, uh, feels like a before sunset, but with like a. Yeah. a do we say? <laughs> no, what? Look, look the I genre. The genre. Look, here's the thing: genre, horror, science fiction, romance made in Europe. We can okay. say, look, <laughs> That's look, so at the, look, and the poster. There's a poster of Nadia and Lou Taylor Pucci. They're like, what's, uh, what, what does Nadia look like in the poster? No, the, well, no, no, they're, they're, they're fixing they're each turn. other. 
and on the top of the poster, at the bottom of the poster, there is this woman surrounded who is you look. You're looking. Ooh, are those octopus kind of attachments okay. to her? Yeah. So, so we, the, this is uh, this is like before before sunset or the before trilogy, mm-hmm. but with that little that little sci-fi twist. We'll say. Okay. Um, fair. I was also thinking of like lovers on the bridge. This is like a for me. This is a romance movie that works. And the fact that they have this little sci-fi twist that's almost works like a ticking clock. Like we don't have much time together. And so let's, uh, you know, let's uh, go through the beginning and end of our relationship within this uh, short amount of time. But that doesn't really pick up till kind of halfway through. Kind of almost wish this started halfway through and went a little longer. That said, I I, I love the I love the characters. Even the one of the the one guy that looks like Macon Blair from Blue Ruin, I believe he was right. in the Battery, a, another movie I liked, and so it was cool seeing him. Yeah, the, the, this was a pretty decent uh, decent love story. Actually, a really good love story. You know, it's it's new love. You know, nothing you haven't seen before. Except for some of it, <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah, that some someone, you have not seen. You think that someone that has uh, been around as long as she has, uh, she probably would know when to take her medication on time. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, I, I got a couple of small nitpicks, like uh, some of the exposition gets kind of wonky. But that I just the the way the characters interact with each other, I kind of forgive it. And I really like the end. I like the last shot when they're sitting on the bench, and then the thing happens in the background. And then they had the wide shot and it was like, that's such a perfect understated way to end the story like this. Yeah. Th- th- this is good. Th- I think of the three, this might be my favorite. From Benson um, and Moorhead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good cool. stuff. So spring currently on uh, Hulu and uh, it's to be shutter. Bruce said he saw it on shutter. I saw it on shutter as well from Benson and Moorhead from our cinematics Facebook group. We had a bunch of our, Group members chime in on what they thought of Spring. First of all, our buddy Andrew Martin, a podcaster from Andrew Watches Movies, he actually posted his Blu-ray of Spring. It says, since we love physical media here, and then he posted his Blu-ray of Spring, which we're assumedly so that he probably really loves it. Fellow podcaster Peter Beta said, I had a great time watching it. You could tell it was fun to make too. Well, one of the reasons why it was fun to make is that in Italy, there's a lot of wine drinking involved, and there's some really beautiful shots of just eventually that Lou, Lou Taylor Pucci's character becomes sort of a farmer so you get some really cool farming scenes this movie like Blue, Bruce Perky said it's all over the place because there's so much elements to spring that you're gonna like you might like the farming outdoorsy elements you might like the bro moments at the beginning you might like the tragic moment at the beginning with he and his mother you, there's a lot of things to really enjoy regarding spring also William Lindis our buddy over at Movie Bears podcast and also he was part of the long walk with the long sip with Maddie Doe with Bruce and Eric he actually says the Endless Resolution and Spring, those three are like a holy trinity to me regarding Benton and Moorhead's work. And William Lindis has a poster, a framed poster of Spring, which looks beautiful, adorning his living room. So that's there's a lot of people in our Facebook group who really, really love Spring. Nelson McClintock finally says, I enjoyed that one and The Endless by Benson and Moorhead. So we have some Benson and Moorhead fans in our Facebook group. Please join our Facebook group for some more cinephile, cinephilia conversations my thoughts on spring is simply put i think there's one big frustration regarding spring and that is people will think spring is a big horror creature what is this person gory movie and it's it has moments but really it's a romantic like like uh, eric was saying it's a romantic film 
It's a movie about love and romance and and trauma. What do you do? Do you can do you forge on with a relationship if if there are indeed challenges and are you available? Are you open to enjoy the moment or will you succumb to life's tragedies and go look the other direction? Hence the moniker Spring in Spring Hope Runs Eternal. So this is very very funny because what could be a creature feature science fiction horror film is actually disguised as a real interesting romantic film, which Eric says works. And I agree with Eric Holmes. It definitely works. This is, a, this is I'm going to rate it in a second, but let's get Bruce's final take on spring. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up, and, and that is, I wonder what their kickoff was for this. And I almost think that this is like when you are a guy or a woman or whoever you are, and you see somebody that you think like, wow, this person's interested in me and they're way out of my league. What's When's that other shoe going to drop? And this movie kind of has that, and, and the shoe drops, it drops. And then when that shoe drops, do you still like that woman, that person, that woman, that man, or you know, whoever you're interested in? I think it's a little deeper than it might seem on on first blush because it's it's talking about you know really seeing a person for what they really are, and then do you love them, and what do you do, and both sides having to give something or take something to to go further with that. Uh, so I think in that sense, it's actually a pretty interesting movie. Uh, and I love it quite a bit. And Bruce, I think- you saw it on the, re- sorry, you saw that it's on a rewatch. You saw it twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second viewing, even better. Second viewing, you. yeah, I, I really like it quite a bit. I was able to focus a little more on some of the techniques because this is a very low budget movie and you can tell. Uh, and in fact, this is, uh, they talk about in the trivia on this, this is one of the first movies to really utilize drones in a smaller budget movie. And at the time that was very unusual. Now it's kind of become almost a trope. Like we, we are annoyed by it sometimes, <laughs> but in this movie, it, I think it works. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful soaring shots of the, of the seaside village. And I also want to point out, I don't think it's a drone shot, but there's some really interesting for a low budget movie, some really great camera work. There's a moment where he and the, the two other dudes walk through the town square. And just as a visual storytelling technique, you just kind of see the people in the town. You see the church bell. You see the woman as they're passing. You see how he watches her. And it's just kind of a way to say, like, this is where we're at. Look at what you're going to see. We're going to start to set the scene for you. And then later on, there's another scene where there's a reason they're both running away from her apartment. And they're having an argument and a discussion in these small city streets, the small village streets at night. And it's a one shot that leads all the way back to the square. And it's really masterfully shot for such a small budget movie. And I think once again, uh, watching it a second time, you can really see the storytelling techniques and you can see the, the, the filmmaking techniques that are above and beyond its budget. So I think it, it does do well on the second viewing. I thought what's cool that Benson Moorhead did, and this was a bit of a sacrifice, they start the first maybe 10 to 12 minutes of the movie, and it really looks like a low-budget indie film because mm-hmm. it's set in the bar, it's set in the home with his mother, you see the death scene, okay? This is not spoiler stuff. And these, this could, a lot of people will say, oh, this is looks like this movie looks like it was shot for very little money. And then... As you go on, the visual language really expands. And so it really mirrors Lou Taylor Pucci's character, his evolution, right? And I think a lot of filmmakers would have probably wanted, even at the first shot with him and his mother, to make it really elaborate, just to say, hey, I, I can do, I can shoot this really well, just stay on board. But they're just saying, no, just they gradually let the language mature throughout the narrative. Eric Holmes was talking about some of the exposition 
and I was agreeing with him a little bit. There's some a lot of dialogue, but I was thinking, oh man, I bet you on the second watch, all of the, these dialogue scenes that I think might be too much is actually really cool because you can pick out some of the nuances on the second watch. Did you feel that way as well as far as the dialogue? Or did you still feel some of the stuff was extraneous? I thought the dialogue was pretty darn good overall. And also I wanted to point out that there's a lot of humor in here too. And I think that kind of gets missed possibly the first viewing because you're kind of a little bit off kilter. You don't know quite what's going on. But there's this visual humor. Like the first time you see her medicine bottle and it's just like a frowny face. That's all it's on there. What about – like, uh, I don't know how much of this I can say. Uh, she's talking to him. I figure probably in Italian or maybe French. But he's like, what? I I don't know what you're saying. And it cuts down to her hand. Yes. You know what part I'm talking about? Yeah, Is yes, that I a do. nod to a thing that I don't want to say? It could be, yes. Uh, and there's another, <laughs> shortly after that, there's another scene in a church where they're having a, an inter- interaction. And then right after that interaction, oh. <laughs> some other people in the church make a comment about them. There's a lot of little stuff like that in this movie that is letting you know like, they that know a zombie this is, you're shooting up heroin. Yeah, yeah, that they know this is outlandish, but they also are letting you know they know that, and they're also having a little fun with it at the same time that they're going to let it be emotionally resident. It actually has some emotion to it too. So I think that that it goes a long way in this movie too. It isn't deadly serious. It isn't just straight up comedy. It it's it's doing a lot of different things. Do you guys feel that there is an audience that hasn't really actually explored Spring and should? Meaning, look, the the indie horror people will love it. The people who love Benson and Moorhead will love it. So that's a good good cross-section. But can you guys speak to the fact there might be some people who might be pleasantly surprised at how good Spring is? I I would say there's definitely an audience. I was certainly one of them up until (laughs) a week ago. Yeah. No, I I think there's going to be a a big audience. I I would even, I'm going to say, I'm going to say if you love romantic comedy dramas, just steal yourself up for spring. There are some moments which will make you a little bit squeamish, but I think if you just hold on, I think there's enough in it for you, for people who like that genre to really appreciate what spring is all about. Spring has sprung for me. Yes, Eric Holmes. I think this is also a good crossover because there's, uh, there's people that don't like horror, but they, you know, they like my sister, she hates horror, but she loves romance stories. I think she could watch this. Okay. Um, at the same time, on the other end of the cor- uh, coin, there's people that you know they like they like the horror. Um, they don't like they don't like love stories too much. This might you know this could be that that missing link that joins two worlds together because I mm. think it does both parts pretty well. Tell us what what your sister thinks of Spring if she ever watches it down the road, or maybe even your your uh, brother in arms, literally Stephen. If he has, if, tell us what Stephen Holmes thinks of Spring. By the way, Stephen, I really think he's actually a pretty good voice on, on and very very funny too. Yeah. I, you should you should just he's mention right that over there. You can take my place. Just, no 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 no. Could you do me a favor? Can I take Bruce's place? Because I, I don't I don't know what. Yeah, you know, I see how this works. <laughs> I see how this works. You see how that works. But anyways, I think Spring really works for me. Four and a half stars for spring eric holmes your rating on spring yeah i'm probably at four and a half actually i'm probably at four because the first 20 30 minutes didn't really grab me but we'll say four with room to grow because uh like bruce said i think maybe if i watch it again the uh the parts that i didn't care too much at the beginning might grow on me a little bit but i'd like i i could see this being a four and a half five star down the road and now I think four is good. It's definitely a high recommend. Okay. Yeah, no, four is good. Four and a half for me. Bruce, you're rating on spring. I think I'm four and a half as well. 
Four and a half. And we, you know what? I bet you William Lin is from Movie Bears Podcast. I'm sure. I think his rating is a five-star banger. If you're going to have a, a poster of spring on your living room, this movie must mean something to you. By the way, that, that is a beautiful poster from William Lindis, And I'm glad a lot of people in our Facebook group really enjoy spring as well. So yeah, four for Eric and four and a half for me and Bruce is streaming pretty much everywhere. And who knows? Maybe I, I might be like Andrew Martin and pick up the Blu-ray of spring as well. That'd be really interesting to do. Before we go, any final thoughts from you, Eric Holmes? Oh, I always forget. Yes, I got box one. Thing. Oh, yes. What's in the box? Oh, <laughs> oh, very good. That's your thought. Yes. What's in the box? What's in the bleeping box? A uh, uh, rock cave? Spelunking? What? It, oh, look, my look, gosh. I don't want to sound racist, but Bruce, you better separate the, the white pieces of paper from the black pieces of paper because they don't like to live <laughs> together. And I don't want to. I'm not that racist. Is, I just think that, that they you're should not? be not Okay. Yeah, glad, yes, to, glad to hear good. that. That was a nice hold your fire reference, Eric <laughs> Holmes. Very, very cool. Yes, sir. What do you got, Bruce Perky? All right. This is one I just think I threw in the back box for myself because I just never got around to watching it, and I know that I should. And that is Naked, 1993, Mike Lee. Ooh, Naked, David Thewlis. Very interesting, Mike Lee. Wow, that is a tough – that is going to be a tough watch for you, Bruce. I remember watching that in the theaters, and I was – yeah, I was pretty much scarred just watching that movie. Very interesting. I think actually Eric Holmes would like that as well. Again, Bruce, what's in the box? Actually, for our Find Your Film site, yeah, I'm gonna on the on our page. There's, I'm gonna put different categories, and if you go to findyourfilms.com, you can actually see. Hey, hey, do I want to actually read some reviews from a a a, a critic a shill for the last thirty years? Oh, I'm gonna check out Greg Srizavasi stuff. So you're gonna go into this moniker I'm gonna put called Dream Factory, or if you're a person who actually has better taste and says, oh, you. You know what? I really want to play the find your film game and wondering what Stephen and Eric Holmes think about uh, Joel Schumacher and Nick Cage. What, what's the what's the movie that comes out uh, alive? Go to there's I'm actually could have put a whole Eric Holmes category in in on the front page. It's gonna be, I think it's gonna be called what is it gonna be called? Uh, Hanging with the Holmes. What do you think, Eric Holmes or Holmes's Corner or <laughs> Ele- what? Sixty nine minutes with Holmes. <laughs> Sixty nine minutes with Holmes. I want to. I want. I want the website to be for the full family. I'm gonna. I might just say Hanging with the Holmes. But okay, six point nine minutes. Six point nine minutes with. with the Eric Holmes. <laughs> Since this is for families. For this is for very good, Eric Holmes. Bruce, you've come up with a moniker for your corner of the world uh, on that page on FindYourFilms.com. Uh, not Bruce's really corner. a good one. Bruce I think all about right now is Bruce's box. Bruce, this is supposed to be for a family, a family show. <laughs> Thank you. Eric Holmes is a good Im- imitation of Greg Scherzavosti. Of course, we like Eric says, we are mirror images. Aside from that, Bruce Berkey, final thoughts. Well, my final thought is actually an actual thing that happened today. Uh, it just, just dawned on my me. But done in my head because you're talking about family friendly and all that stuff. And uh, I was showing our uh, merchandise site to my son today. And he was like, is that intentional that they all have end in 69 cents? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. It's intentional. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Remember, folks, we are a family show. The number means not. It doesn't mean anything, right, Eric? Yeah, you guys, you guys lost me. I was just doing. It starts off as whatever it is dot ninety nine, and I just do thirty percent or thirty cent discounts on everything. <laughs> Eric Holmes, I, I, I have no idea what you guys are getting at. Eric Holmes, I love you already. Finally, playing the politically correct game. We will see you next week here on Find Your Film, or you can if you're if you're actually really down with the cause. Find your film podcast.com for your merch see you guys next week and thank you so much for listening bye